Do you consider yourself a high achiever? Smart, driven, highly successful? I am so excited to have you. My name is Julia Arndt and I'm the host of the Stress Podcast. I will help you develop your stress resilience the same way you've developed your workplace superpowers. Learn peak performance tools to thrive at work and in your personal life. Let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Stressed Podcast 2022. It's the very first time I have some beautiful podcast guests on the show. And I'm super excited to do a three-way uh, podcast interview this morning with Abby and Maggie. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. We're so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited. The Anxiety Sisters uh, is what they call you as well. So I'm really, really excited to talk with you today about anxiety, about panic attacks. I don't even know where to start, but I think maybe to kind of ease ourselves into the topic, we'll just start with the really simple introductions of each of you so we get to know each other a little bit better. Abby, why don't you start? Okay, so my name is Abby Greenberg. And the folks in our community tend to call me abs, but I really respond to anything <laughs> because I'm a parent. So I'm used to responding to so many different names. Um, and I am a professor of communication by trade. However, at this point, I am a full-time anxiety sister. So Mags and I, as of 2017, decided to go full-time in terms of running our community, which it started with about, with two of us, mm -hmm. and now has, oh, I think 217,000 is our latest number wow. that I saw. That's so. incredible. And where are you located, Epps? I am in New Jersey, central New Jersey. Okay. So I have a lot of snow on the ground. Very nice. Yeah, you just had a snowstorm last weekend. Yeah. And um, what were you up to this morning? So Mags and I did our usual early morning Monday meeting on East Coast time. So we we start early in the morning and plan everything we're doing for the week and talk mm -hmm. about, you know, uh, we run a support group on Sunday night. So we debrief them from that. And mm -hmm. then we each go do our research. And I was reading neuroscience this morning. That was my activity until the podcast. Very nice. Great. Well, thank you so much for the introduction and welcome. I'm really excited to chat with you. Max, how about you? Hi, yes, I'm Maggie Sarachek, Um, and like Abby, I'm an anxiety sister full-time. Um, I am trained in social work. That's what my graduate school was in. And so I've worked in a variety of capacities in social work. And then, you know, Abs and I started this community, and as we got more into it, it started taking more and more of our our time and resources and energy. And so now we are both here full time. Yeah. yeah. And where are you located? I'm located in Columbus, Ohio, and I am a, um, I'm a New York City girl. I grew up on Long Island and lived in New York City for many, many years. And about nine years ago, we moved to Columbus probably couldn't have found it on a map before we moved here, you know, we're not. Okay. And, um, and moved here for a job for my husband, which he left after a couple of years, but we kind of put down some roots and stayed. So I'm sort of, you know, out of my element in certain ways, but it's also been a really good change for us as a family. Very nice. Um, what were you up to this morning besides talking to apps about the weekly plan? 
Well, I wake up with my, um, I have a 15 year old who goes to school about a half an hour away. So, you know, getting him up and out is a, you know, is always the morning activity and to school. Um, and then I came back and talked to abs and, um, then went on Facebook for a while to answer some questions from our community. Okay, great. How did you start the Anxiety Sisters? Tell us a little bit more about your journey. Well, okay, so, you know, I guess the first thing people ask us often is if we are actually biological sisters, and sadly, no, uh, but we're soul sisters. So, and in some senses for us, that's been better. Um, we met in college in the 80s, and sort of, you know, we were both struggling with anxiety already right at that point in our late teens and early 20s, but we didn't really have a vocabulary that is out there now. I mean, you know, we've come a long way in that 35 years since since Mags and I met in the sense that now people know at least generally what anxiety and depression are, whereas that was just not something that they talked about when we were in college. You know, so so Mags and I really bonded over our, our all of our symptoms, which, you know, she had loads of stomach symptoms. I had the heart symptoms. We really didn't know that it was anxiety. We sort of both figured that we had something really, really wrong with us. Um, but, you know, we, we kind of hung on, hung, hung on to each other and, <laughs> and we went to, uh, uh, our 20s were our decade of the is. Mm. We literally spent the entire decade going to every ist that exists. So the nutritionist, the cardiologist, the therapist, <laughs> the, the neurologist, the neurologist, the past life professionist. <laughs> I was going to say that too. Anyone who would take our money um, and who we thought could help us feel better, uh -huh. um, we sort of gravitated to, and that that took us quite a quite a while. Um, of, People of kept telling us we had anxiety, but, you know, like most anxiety sisters, we kind of couldn't believe that anxiety could cause such so many symptoms. physical symptoms. Mm -hmm. I mean, I kept saying, no, no, no. I know what anxiety is. That's when you're nervous. That's when you have butterflies in your stomach. It's not when your heart is racing and you can't breathe. Mm -hmm. So we had a long, uh, we, had, we had many years of, of being told we had anxiety and doubting it. Okay. Um, and when were you like embracing it and saying like, yes, we have anxiety and this is that all the symptoms are actually connected to anxiety? Um, I think as we were going about trying to find help and, you know, therapy too, and psychiatrists, and we were going to try to find help. And, and I think what we realized was that we were each other's touchstones. So we were helping each other a lot. And then professionally, we were each developing, I was going into social work and learning a lot about mental health. And Abby was in communications, which is such a huge part of sort of how we function in this world, you know, how we speak to ourselves and how we speak to other people, such an important piece. And so we were kind of putting these pieces together And we were starting to talk to other people. And um, the more that we started to kind of go around and speak to other people, the more stuff we were putting together, I guess, is what I'm saying. And um, personally and professionally, and um, Abby can tell you about this bus ride we went on, but we kind of went on this bus ride that really... Um, that was the beginning of things. Yeah, yeah. We were going from New Jersey to Manhattan on this bus and we were talking 
too loudly about medications that we were on and their side effects. Because we're anxiety uh, sisters. Because we're anxiety well, sisters. We talk yeah. about things other people yeah. will whisper about. Um, and the person in the seat in front of us turned around and said, I, I couldn't help but overhear you. Uh, I'm on that same medication. What do you do about that side effect? And literally within 10 minutes, every woman on the bus wow. was turning around, facing us, and we were all talking about these antidepressants and anxiety in general. And we got off the bus and we're walking down Ninth Avenue. And I said to Maggie, can you believe how many people were so willing to share such intimate personal things? Yeah. She said, yeah, I can, because anxiety is such a lonely, isolating thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're really all anxiety sisters. Yeah. And it's, and I said, Oh my God, that's brilliant. This, wow. this, this is what we need to do. We need to get out there and get that conversation mm -hmm. front and center so that people don't have to suffer like we did where we, you know, for years didn't really have access to the help that's, you know, that's now available. And, and we're participating in that. We're, we, you know, we looked for a community to join. We couldn't find one. Mm -hmm. So we said, all right, so we will, we'll create this virtual free community. And now we have people and they're from all over the world, 200 countries That's and so territories, crazy. you know, people from all around the world, all walks of life, all genders, all religions, all ethnicities, everybody with similar experiences of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so we, we really can, can prove that anxiety sisters don't go it alone. Mm -hmm. Because we, you know, we all share that. Yeah. Wow. That's so powerful. I want to take a step back and kind of start at the beginning when someone is listening right now and is like, what is anxiety and how do I know um, if I am actually experiencing any of those symptoms? How would you describe anxiety today? Um, well, here's the thing about anxiety. The symptoms, the physical symptoms there's such a wide range of physical symptoms. It's like we say anything your body can do, any sound it can make, any fluid, any, any kind of discomfort you can have. It can be like a bare aspirin commercial. It can be rashes. It can be stomach issues. So many other things, um, which is what makes anxiety so tricky because mm -hmm. it is not one of those things where the first day you're like, this must be anxiety, right? Yeah, exactly. um, and we tell people, do your due diligence, of course, you know, go to the doctors and make sure that you're ruling out other things, but you come to a place where um, it turns out that there aren't so many other things causing the symptoms. And, you we, know, we should also, we should point out that anxiety is a human thing. Mm -hmm. Everybody yeah. experiences anxiety. It's like any other emotion or sensation, right? Mm -hmm. Anxious is human. Okay. If you're a human being, you felt anxiety mm -hmm. where it becomes tricky. And, and when we, and when we're talking about anxiety, we're really talking about that biological fight, flight, or freeze response that's happening in your brain, mm -hmm. right? It's happening in your amygdala, which is yeah, this you talk almond, about amygdala hijack too. Yeah. She does this little, yeah. little almond shape, um, region in your limbic system of your brain that and actually we have two of them that, um, that sort of acts as an early warning system for your body. So it will, it will sense something right from one of your five senses. It'll take in some kind of stimulus and it will decide if that's something threatening or not. If it is threatening to your amygdala, then it's going to set off that warning, warning. And then your whole body, you know, you start releasing the adrenaline and the cortisol, mm -hmm. and then you start getting all the symptoms. Mm -hmm. 
So, and that happens to everybody, right? I mean, we, we all get startled by something or we all, you know, feel mm -hmm. that, that response of, oh my God, I'm scared, mm -hmm. right? Anxiety though, the kind of anxiety that Mags and I really suffered from and that, you know, we, we try to help people with is when your amygdala gets a little wonky and starts to perceive threats where there may not be threats. Mm -hmm. So you're standing in the grocery store minding your own business and suddenly your heart is racing or you're sweating or you're starting to get hives or your stomach is killing you and you feel like you're going to throw up. All these things can be symptoms of the fight, flight or freeze response where your brain perceives that there's a real danger mm -hmm. to your life. Yeah. And in anxiety sufferers, our brains are trigger happy. So we perceive danger where it may not even be so dangerous or dangerous at all. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's when it can take over and become a disorder. And, you know, you can, you can stop being able to, to function fully because this response is happening so often. So that when we talk about anxiety disorder, that's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. We often tell people if, you know, if your anxiety is making a decision about what you do, where you go, who you see, mm -hmm. um, if you become so afraid of those symptoms that you sort of shrink your world, um, then we know that, that there's a problem, that there's an yeah. issue. Yeah, that's a good red flag. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. I was diagnosed with anxiety in 2018. And I also had no idea. I always had this like feeling in my stomach, how you were saying and all these different symptoms, but I had no idea what it was until I went to the doctor and I just, didn't feel like myself anymore. And they diagnosed me with anxiety and depression, which is, you know, a form of burnout. And uh, yeah. And I was like, wow, like the first time someone put kind of a name on mm -hmm. what I was experiencing, it was almost so freeing because I was like, now when I have moments of anxiety, um, I, I can like better control it almost because of that, because I'm like, oh, this is my anxiety. And that's kind of my, my signal that I've been doing too much, or I need to take care of myself or do something to kind of bring my fight or flight <laughs> response back into the parasympathetic nervous system. So, so yeah, so I think that's super helpful. And the second question that I have that I found really interesting, what you were sharing, sharing on the bus was about medication. So what is your stance on medication um, today? Like you obviously took medication for, for anxiety. What was your experience and what do you, uh, um, yeah, what do you tell people to do nowadays with medication? So I guess you could say our stance is that we are um, focused on what helps people get back to functioning in their life. Mm -hmm. You know, that because, you know, for a lot of us, anxiety can really interrupt our lives in, in many different ways. And so we know that there are a lot of issues with medication, right? There's a lot of side, there's what we call front and center effects. There's issues with it. But we also know that for some people, it can be life-changing. Mm -hmm. And so we, and the two of us each take medication. Mm -hmm. um, some of us, some of us need medication to start to do the things to take care of ourselves, right? Some mm -hmm. of us um, need medication just for a little while. Some of us need it for a longer amount of time. It's not a cure-all in any way, but you know, we, we always say we have all these like techniques that we really believe in and we really use in our lives, you know, mm -hmm. And, um, 
but if you can't get out of your house, <laughs> you know, or it, I mean, it, it's nice if I tell you to walk in nature, right? But if you're, if you can't get off the couch at all, that's not going to really help you, right? Mm-hmm. Walking in nature is not so helpful when you can't leave the house or when you're, you know, or if you can't get in the car to drive somewhere um, because your anxiety inhibits you so much, you know, going to therapy becomes a lot harder. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if you're hyper, right? Right. And I was going to say, on our general stance is this, anxiety disorder is a medical condition. Mm -hmm. So for some people, medication is an appropriate part of the treatment plan. Mm -hmm. We have no judgment about anyone's treatment. Mm -hmm. In other words, we do both take medication as part of our treatment plans, Mm -hmm. but we don't think that means everyone should. It's not for everyone, but we also don't believe in judging anyone's choice to be on medication just in the same way. I wouldn't judge somebody for taking blood pressure medication Mm -hmm. or insulin for their diabetes or any other, you know, when you have a medical condition, sometimes medication is part of the plan. And so what we're really against is that judgment piece. Mm -hmm. We're not, you know, no one's treatment plan should be judged. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. And where does it come from that you have anxiety? I mean, I'm sure that you have explored that uh, wide and large as well. <laughs> very much, very much. So like, where does it come from? Where doesn't it come from? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so many uh, reasons that all of us can have anxiety in this world. Um, but, you know, both of us can trace our anxiety back pretty far as you said, it's like we didn't have words for it, but we can both really trace it back. You know, we remember being anxious as really young children in different ways. You know, we had different symptoms of that, but, you know, I I was a child with a lot of separation anxiety, severe separation anxiety. You know, Abby had her own struggles as a child with now what she sees as OCD. And so, you know, for us, part of it, was coming, you know, from childhood, but there are just, you know, hormones make a difference, especially for women, especially at all times, especially when we're in a lot of <laughs> especially at all times. <laughs> and especially at all times. I was just thinking, but especially after child, you know, around childbirth, mm-hmm. around menopause, around puberty. Mm-hmm. Um there are just, you know, expectations in our society of women play a part. A lot of us feel both. vitamin deficiencies yeah. um, are, you know, our soil is really not what it used to be in the seventies. And so we're, you know, most of the population is deficient in magnesium, let's say, and magnesium mm-hmm. is a very, is a part of a natural control of anxiety in our body. So we're not having enough magnesium. That's one example, mm-hmm. any kind of trauma can cause anxiety, illnesses can cause anxiety, medications, including anxiety medications can cause anxiety. Yeah. Um, you know, we always say that trying to figure out your exact cause of your anxiety is a bit like standing in an anthill and trying to figure out which one bit you. Yeah. Burnout, okay. like you yeah. talk about yeah. that burnout, that over like prolonged stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and stress and anxiety are a bit different, but when you have prolonged and consistent stress, that really often can lead to an anxiety disorder. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the difference between stress and anxiety? Sure. Yeah. Do you want, do you want to, Meg? You no, look, go ahead. We're ready. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Whose turn is it? Um, so, um, well, so stress is the stress and response and the anxiety response come from the same place, right? They're both from the amygdala. They both start with that fight or flight or freeze response that triggers your kidneys to release the adrenaline, etc. So physically, it's very similar. But with stress, there's really you can pinpoint some kind of a cause. Mm-hmm. There's a real there's a real um, a cue for it that you can trace. Whereas with anxiety, sometimes we have no idea. Like I said, we could be standing in the line at the grocery store, minding our own business, and then boom, have an anxiety attack. Mm-hmm. So that would not be stress. That would be anxiety, where mm-hmm. in other words, where, the, where it's hard to figure out necessarily. And stress is something that we all have as human beings, just like we oh, all have exactly. anxiety. Yeah, but when yeah. we say we all have anxiety, we're probably saying we all have stress. Yes. We all have that daily stress. We worry about our health. We worry about our finances. We worry about the world we live in, all those things, right? Mm -hmm. All the pressures on us on a daily basis. That's really stress for most people. It can, like Maggie said, become anxiety and even Mm -hmm. an anxiety disorder if, you know, you suffer from burnout. Exactly. I just wanted to say when you have prolonged levels of stress, then it becomes anxiety or depression or burnout. Yes. Yeah. All these different things. Because you're, you know, when you're even with stress, your amygdala is going, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like any kind of danger, your body is revving up. Mm-hmm. And what happens, particularly if you have stress that become that either can't be managed or you're not managing for whatever reason, it's like your amygdala, your amygdala is staying in that state of being revved up all the time. And that is basically That's anxiety exactly. disorder. Yeah. yeah. So it's. Yeah, for sure. Can we talk uh, for a second about panic attacks? I think I've never really talked about this on my podcast and I've done over 150 podcast episodes at this point, but I'm like, I don't think I've talked really much about panic attacks. Can you explain that a little bit for people that might have experienced that before and are wondering how to uh, maybe manage that better or get, get out of panic attacks? Well, they're a lot of fun. <laughs> Very joyful. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather clean the a fraternity bathroom with a toothbrush after a huge party than have another panic attack. Yes, yes. There it's it's one of the scariest mm-hmm. um it's one of the scariest parts of anxiety, I think. And you know, basically it's often severe physical symptoms. Mm-hmm. And that's a little bit different for different people. So Abby always says she has the bare aspirin symptoms, the bare aspirin commercial symptoms, where it feels like there's something wrong with her, their cardiac symptoms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I tend to feel like I have a stomach flu when mm-hmm. I have a panic attack. So I just, mm-hmm. I'm completely nauseous. No food stays down. It's, um, and then there's, you know, what we call the psychological symptoms, which is really, um, believing that you that death is probably imminent mm-hmm. right like yep. I and mean, often we hear people say i'm going to die i'm going to die for some people during pa- panic attacks they can have this sensation of not being quite in their bodies it's often called dissociation or depersonalization mm-hmm. we call it floating you're kind of floating up above your body mm-hmm. um so there there's many many different um symptoms of it but All of it is one of the most frightening things that I don't know I've ever been through. And I think Abby, I think anyone who's had a panic attack would say it's one of the most frightening things. Um, So much so that people, uh, you know, a lot of people become afraid of the actual panic experience that becomes the the anxiety. Yeah. 
Yeah, that is part of panic disorder when you start avoiding things because you become afraid. You panic about having another one of those panic attacks because it's like someone torturing you. It's excruciating. Mm -hmm. It's really rough. Yeah. Yeah. We do believe in preparing for panic. What did you say? I said we do believe in preparing for panic. That's our one of our big lines is that you can take away a lot of panic's power if you can know it's coming. And mm-hmm. one way you can know it's coming is if you prepare for it. So one of our favorite techniques we talk about is something called a spin kit, which is our term for a first aid kit for anxiety. Okay. And just like if you have an allergy, you'd carry an EpiPen. So if you have anxiety dis- disorder or panic disorder, you should carry a spin kit. And the types of things that are in a spin kit are things that you can use to help you get through mm-hmm. a panic attack or anxiety such as uh, anything soothing, maybe, you know, like a lavender essential oil or a soft fabric or a worry stone or a, maybe a, um, a mint or something to distract you. If, you. if you're the kind of person who floats, mm-hmm. but then, Maggie's, you know, then, then having a strong mint will bring you back into your body, mm-hmm. um, a fidget spinner or some knitting or, you know, pictures of your pets, whatever, you know, kinds of things can soothe you and distract you. Mm -hmm. because you can't stop the panic that's the thing we want to stop the panic but we can't and if we fight against it we're going to make it worse Mm -hmm. so we want to carry things that can distract us during the panic that we're not trying to make it end we're just going to say all right well i'm going to focus on this Mm -hmm. fidget spinner or i'm going to put in these headphones and listen to this particular piece of music that i love till i can i can ride this wave of the anxiety until it lets me go it will let you go Mm-hmm. But we really do believe in a spin kit as preparation, because if you're walking around with a spin kit, then you're ready for the panic. You mm-hmm. know it, you know it's coming mm-hmm. and it enables you to really, you know, no longer will, if you start to feel panicky, panicky you're not going to say, oh my God, why is this happening? You're going to say, oh, I'm having anxiety. Good thing I have my spin kit. Mm-hmm. And that really takes away its power because it can't shock you anymore. There's no more sneak attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And um, I'm really curious because you've obviously been in this field for so many years, right? You've experienced it yourself. Now you're working with over 200,000 people and help them with their anxiety. Um, what have, how have you seen the development of anxiety? I mean, obviously that, that like bus experience, it was really interesting because people were not really talking about it, but then you you probably had that realization of like, oh, there's actually so many people that have the same experience as us. How has it been over the last few years? Because I feel like, you know, anxiety, depression, mental health is becoming all these buzzwords now and like it's becoming bigger and bigger. Like how has that changed, you know, your business or like just the way of how you work with your community? Well, definitely there is much more of an acknowledgement that, Mm -hmm. you know, we have this thing called mental health and some of us have anxiety or depression or other, other mental health issues. Um, the thing that abs and I find so much in our community is that while the words anxiety and depression are thrown around a lot, what that actually looks like in the world is still not really discussed. So it's like Mm. acceptable to say, oh, I have anxiety, but you know, some of the symptoms that we talk about, people will say, really, I thought I was the only one that had these like outer out of body experiences, Mm -hmm. or I thought I was the only one that, you know, hasn't driven in 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, Like people don't sort of know what the feelings 
are. And what we often say is that while it's acceptable to say you have depression or anxiety, if you have to say, I don't know if I can make it someplace, or, you know, I may not be able to do this, or I may not be available for this. People are a lot less tolerant of that. Um, They want you to talk about it, but they don't want it to affect their lives. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I still think that's part of the stigma. It's like we, if someone has a cast on their leg, we don't expect them to take the stairs. Right. We, you know, no, we have to make sure their elevator is available. We all bring them casseroles and, you know, try to be very attentive. But if someone is saying like, yeah, my, my anxiety or my depression is really acting up, people tend to pull away if Mm -hmm. anything, and they really don't know sort of how to support someone. You don't get casseroles generally. Mm -hmm. You yeah, know. They don't, they don't yeah. know how to change their expectations when the illness is invisible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I can totally relate to that too. I feel like when I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression, I felt super guilty because I felt like, and crazy as well, like honestly, because it's like, okay, how, what, like I didn't have a broken arm or a broken leg that I could show my team and be like, this is what I have. <laughs> That's yes. why I'm not coming to work, you know? So, yeah, so that's, that's definitely, yeah, I I always tell Abby that there's this show I've been, I've watched a bunch of times on, I don't know, Showtime or HBO. It's called Wakefield. It's from Australia Uh and um, it's about a psychiatric hospital, but one of the nurses is helping, helping this woman with a young baby who's kind of going out into the community. And she said, but I'm like, so I'm so vulnerable out there. No one can see how much I'm struggling, you know, and I have this baby with me. And so he gave her sort of a a boot to put on her foot, like a, like if your foot's Mm -hmm. hurt Mm -hmm. and, you know, she goes out into the community and people are like, let me help you. Let me open the door. Let's get you a good seat. You know, do you need some help with the baby? You know, because Mm -hmm. uh, people wanted to be supportive, but she needed something outward to show. Like I'm vulnerable. I need some help. Yeah. And is that something that ask for that, you know, it's still hard, especially for yeah. competent women, yeah. right? Because we all yeah. totally get that guilt of, oh my goodness, how can I not show up to work or to soccer practice or to, you know, the bake sale or whatever it is that we're doing in our lives? How can we not do that mm-hmm. because of anxiety? You know, it, it's almost like we don't have permission mm-hmm. to. And so part of what Mags and I do is try to help people be compassionate with themselves and give themselves permission to ask for help. Yeah. So to communicate basically what you need and to ask for permission from the community. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. And what about men? Um, Do men have less anxiety than women? (laughs) No, we think it comes out very differently in men. First of all, women are, we are very practiced um, in talking about feelings, right? You know, like little girls spend time brushing, you know, not all of them, but we, we spend time in interpersonal relationship, you know, and often not always, but often boys do less of that. So we're very practiced in talking about emotions, but we think with men, you know, there's a lot of substance abuse. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of anger, Mm -hmm. um, aggression, sort of hiding behind a job or, you know, um, so I, I think it looks different in men. I, I'm really convinced men 
have a lot of anxiety and a lot of pressure on them, but it just, it sort of is not as recognized. And more than 30% of our community identify as male. Mm -hmm. So we definitely know that men are affected by anxiety, but like Mag said, they'll, they, they don't necessarily know that it's anxiety. Mm -hmm. So like we've talked to anxiety brothers who will say things like, you know, oh, no, I don't have anxiety. But when I get home, as long as I have a couple glasses of, of wine, then, you know, mm -hmm. oh, if I pour on my, my martini, then I'm OK. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, that's their anxiety medicine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't yeah, see it anyway. But I think that men are socialized to achieve still, even mm -hmm. though we're trying so hard to level the playing field as much as possible. And we've come a long way. Mm -hmm. There's still that societal pressure for men to achieve, for women to nurture. That's still very much part of our code in mm -hmm. Western culture. So I think that the response to that is that it's it's easier for women to be able to express that they're feeling that than it is for men who are expected to be these achievers. Yeah. Who you know who, yeah. who, who don't get mired down in emotions, which are still unfortunately considered the purview of females. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I feel like maybe men have also that societal pressure to have mm -hmm. like to be the high achiever. But yes. I think a lot of women also have that expectations now on themselves to deliver, right? Because I work with peak performers and high achievers right. all the time. And I know that it's it's a really intrinsic thing. Like nobody has, has ever expected that from my family that I'm, you know, that I deliver and that I you know, make a lot of money or anything like that. But I've just put that pressure on myself and yes, created think, anxiety like in I that think way. The difference is like, I, I agree. I'm sorry. To, I interrupted you. I'm Please. sorry. But I, no, I think the difference is, is that women, yes, like the women have all this pressure now to achieve and make a lot of money that men do. But they're also at the same time really judged about motherhood you know, mm -hmm. for example, or mm -hmm. being a good daughter or being a really good friend, like relationship when, building. Yeah. Relationship mm -hmm. building when, and also how they look, mm -hmm. you know, and making sure that they look great and are, you know, a certain weight and a, you know, so women, women are sort of expected to be the whole package. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think, yes, men are paying more attention to their parts in relationships, but I still hear people when I, when a woman is really successful professionally kind of saying, well, you know, what does the rest of her life look like? You know, there's still that expectation. She's supposed to be perfect in all areas mm -hmm. and who can do that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But we can't. How about teens? I saw that you mentioned that in your um, interview guide as well. Like I'm, and I'm curious about that. How about teens? I know that like, you know, when I started my business, it became really quickly apparent to me that, you know, those kind of peak performance kind of uh, characteristics that I that I explain are oftentimes already developed in your younger years, right? In high school and in college. Um, and a lot of people, I've done a few um, different, you know, workshops and talks at, at uh, companies and campuses. And when I talk to those kids I'm always like amazed because first of all I'm amazed because they're already having way more education and awareness around mental health and anxiety and depression and burnout and then at the same time I'm like wow it's uh, were we like that too <laughs> you know but was I when I was in college and for sure we were there was definitely a lot of anxiety and pressure and stress um that we you know that came from the external world but we also put on ourselves but How how does that reflect in your own community and how are they dealing with, with anxiety? Is that different? 
Well, they're our favorite. Well, they're my favorite population. <laughs> I don't know about Adams, but yes, um, of course, I, I was a college professor. They're my most. Yes, yeah, so they're both yeah. our favorite kind of um, sort of age group to work. We love working with teens, and um, you know, and I think you know this is partly a cultural, a socioeconomic and cultural issues. Mm-hmm. But all teens have a lot of stress on them. It's just like mm-hmm. who's where the achievement is put. Um, so, I mean, I think that a lot of teens have extraordinary stresses, both like, you know, there's a bunch of teens who have stress to get into the right college, get into the right university, do all these extracurricular activities. And I have a son applying to university right now. And so I'm on all these parent groups on Facebook and we're talking about it and people you know, are like, my kid has a 4.0 GPA and they did this, this, and this, and they didn't get into this college and they are devastated. Mm-hmm. And you can actually see like, no, I, I think the devastation is also, uh, I think you're also devastated that your sure. child didn't get into such and such college. Of course, yeah. You know, these incredible expectations. Mm-hmm. Another thing that's important to say about teens is, that, you know, you were talking about teen anxiety and do we see a lot of it? Yes, we see a lot of it. And now we really understand neuroscience mm-hmm. better than we did. It used, it used to be believed 20 years ago, the field of neuroscience believed that teen brains were just a little smaller than adult brains, but basically adult brains, right? Now we know that's just not the case, that teen mm-hmm. brains are very different. In fact, pre-adult, we call them pre-adult brains because most brains are not fully developed and wired until at least the age of 25. And for some people as late as 30, mm-hmm. but certainly 25 is the earliest that you're going to be hooked up fully mm-hmm. and have everything connected to each other and working in the brain. Mm-hmm. So what we know is that um, there's very different dopamine receptors in a teen brain. So mm-hmm. there's going to, so there's more availability of dopamine to to them and that's why they tend to maybe chase after quote unquote highs whether it be from taking risks or from trying substances or whatever in other words that's something that's that's something in their brain that's different from the adult brain also their prefrontal cortex right which is right here behind your forehead basically that's where your seat of executive function is right that's where we learn how to organize plan evaluate consequences make decisions that's really where all the, the real cognitive work is done right here. Mm-hmm. And really for, for the pre-adult brain, that region is not fully wired. It is not fully hooked up to the rest of the brain. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's really, there, there's a lot of disconnect for younger people. They have a harder time with executive function mm-hmm. because they're not fully wired. It's like the Wi-Fi is spotty until no. you're 25. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's yeah. things go in and out. So if you're wondering why when you were 23, you might have, you know, jumped off your neighbor's roof into your pool, you can't figure out how you ever would have come up with it. Well, now you know, because your yeah. brain, your impulsivity was different. It really was different as a pre-adult than it is as an adult. We are much more capable after age 25 of assessing and evaluating and looking at consequences. So a lot of the anxiety behaviors that we see in teens come in the form of impulsivity and chasing the dopamine and, you know, and that's something that has to do with brain chemistry mm-hmm. and, with, you know, neuroscience. And because of that, teens are also much more um, susceptible to becoming addicted. So it's like the, not just drugs and alcohol, but it's like the gambling online. 
is a big issue for a lot of teens. Gaming. Even um, just addicted to gaming or the internet. Anything mm-hmm. that gives you that dopamine rush, mm-hmm. teens are a lot more vulnerable to. But I think, you know, as adults, it's probably our responsibility to um, not just watch our teens, but to be really careful about the kind of expectations that we're putting on, on them to perform a certain way or be a certain way, mm-hmm. um, to spend more time cultivating maybe their strengths rather than what we need for ourselves as adults, mm-hmm. you know, which I think is often confusing of when course. you're a parent. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we talked already about the spin kit, right? Kind of that preparation that you have um, when you, you know, when you know that you are suffering from anxiety or panic panic attacks. Um, I know that you also talk about kind of a three-step approach to uh, managing anxiety. What is that? Can you tell us a little bit more about what the three steps are? Are you talking about our secret sauce? Mm-hmm. With three ingredients? Yes. Okay. So we we believe that managing anxiety and ultimately living a, a, a richer, fuller life or a happier life comes from three things. It comes from acceptance, then agency, and then connection. Those three ingredients, that's our secret sauce. And of course, when Mags and I think of secret sauce, it, it looks like chocolate suspiciously. But in <laughs> any case, um, but but that's really, it's really important in terms of acceptance to you know, with anxiety, we don't really, for most people, there's no such thing as recovery or complete, you know, remission. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anxiety is a condition. Mm-hmm. And for most of us, not all of us, but for most of us, we're going to live with it our whole lives. Mags and I, despite the fact that we run this community and that we've done all this research and we've written a book and all the, and we do these podcasts and we're experts in the field of anxiety, and yet we're still anxiety sisters. And there's still certain days where we'll mm-hmm. say to each other, you think this is anxiety or it should... <laughs> are you going to the doctor you know it's like that happens yeah. because we're yeah. still anxiety sufferers you know that it, it's a condition so mm-hmm. i think you have to there has to be some acceptance of that mm-hmm. there has to be a real sort of an embracing of it and saying hey my brand of happy is going to be anxiously happy mm-hmm. this is this is how you know this is how my brain works i have a wonky amygdala that's it's going to find threats in places where maybe other people wouldn't find threats. Yeah. I have to know that about myself. I have to know that, you know, certain, like I have obsessions and compulsions that I deal with in my life and, and, mm-hmm. and I have to work around them and, mm-hmm. and they're there. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that, that that acceptance piece is really, really important mm-hmm. as well as, you know, having agency or having some sense of control mm-hmm. over your own decisions. Mags and I are real believers in, it's okay if you have anxiety, but don't let it drive. You're the driver. You know, I wake up in the morning and if I'm feeling anxious, I will literally say out loud, okay, you're here, fine, I'm driving. Mm-hmm. So that I am making my own decisions about where I'll go, who I'll see and what I'll do. Mm-hmm. I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna let anxiety do that. And when I say let, it, I'm not saying it's an easy thing at all. It's not like, oh, I'm permitting it. But I'm gonna really... I'm going to really fight to manage my decisions mm-hmm. because that way I'll keep my world from shrinking. Mm-hmm. And I will, and that agency is what allows us to live fuller lives because, you know, we get to make our own choices and that's so freeing and so powerful. And then finally connection, you know, mm-hmm. we human beings are social. We are a social species. We need one another. And so Mags and I are huge fans in connect in any way you can increase your connection. It doesn't even have to be intimate. You can connect by waving to the person who 
you know, who's, who's taking care of your garbage, you know, wave to the garbage people, wave, you know, chat with your, your barista at, at Starbucks, who's making your coffee, you know, say hello to the person on the subway next to you, you know, those little connections take us so far. And they really help ease our sense of being alone. And anxiety is so lonely. Mm -hmm. And research shows us time and time again, that social connection, whether it's loose or strong, right? Whether it's intimate or sort of those that knowing the people in your stores or whatever, Mm -hmm. that social connection helps us get past really hard times. It helps our resilience tremendously. Mm -hmm. It helps our sense of feeling that our life is meaningful. It helps our happiness. So we really believe deeply. Yeah. Yeah. And you obviously show it with your big community, right? And so when did you start writing your book? Well, 2010. Um, we, Anybody who thinks we, you could write a book in a few weeks and get that, you know, that's what we thought. Oh, we'll write our book. <laughs> well, we were, we are sort of book people, I would say. That is our, when we have a problem, we, we go to the books, you know, still. And um, so when we went looking for anxiety books, when we were really struggling, we found ourselves getting more anxious every time we opened an anxiety book. And <laughs> Um, we found the prescriptive nature of a lot of the books very uh, triggering because, you know, I went through a period where I, I couldn't eat and nothing would stay down. And so telling me to eat five fruits and vegetables a day, I know that is good for you, but it wasn't very helpful. Um, So we, we both, I, I remember walking to the Barnes and Noble with Abby and we were in there and she said to me, Oh my God, I got to leave. I got to take an out of van after we were in the anxiety section because it was so anxiety provoking. So workbook. We, were, we really, you know, it was so like, I had a list of everything that you were supposed to do. And I thought, Oh God, I can't do those things. Mm-hmm. So, well, <laughs> right. so, so when we, so when we said, you know, there's so many books on anxiety out there. What can we contribute that would make, that would be different. And the first thing we both said is, well, for one thing, we're not going to shoot all over people. We're not going to tell them what they should be doing because that really creates so much anxiety, especially if you're really having a hard time functioning. If right now anxiety is making your decisions, it's awfully hard to, you know, do some online yoga or to, even though that's a great way to manage your anxiety, once, you know, once you get that out of that fight or flight, that's a great way to manage anxiety. And we both really appreciate that. But, you know, I remember doctors telling me to, do really intense cardiovascular exercise to release endorphins. And I was like, my heart rate is so fast and I'm sweating and I'm flushed. I, I can't sweat any more than I'm already sweating. Mm. So we, the first thing we said was that, you know, we're going to write a book that doesn't tell people what they should be doing because we just, anxiety sisters often feel like failures anyway. We're not, we don't want to add to that sense of shame. Mm -hmm. And then we said, and also we know that one size doesn't fit all. In fact, one size may not fit the same person two days in a row. So we need like an arsenal of strategies Mm -hmm. and techniques. We need like tons of -hmm. options for people. Mm -hmm. So we, we knew that right Mm -hmm. off the bat and, and that, and that's, you know, we started writing the book really with those things in mind. And also that we were going to explain as much as we could in a very accessible way, some of the, some of the research and some of the neuroscience 
Um, mm-hmm. Abby became really interested in that piece, but we were going to do it in a way that was extremely accessible for everyone because that's part of the acceptance is understanding what's going 100%. on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you found that too. One, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, again, because I feel like because I work with peak performers, they need. I almost feel like they need to feed that brain, brainy part <laughs> of their lives to be like, ah, okay, that's why I'm doing this. You know, like then, then it has more um, uh, substance to, uh, yeah, to to kind of take the next step and really believe in what you're saying, right? Because I think you can say a lot of things, but if you don't really understand it, then it might not be as powerful to. Uh, it also takes away things. the shame, right? Yeah. Because, you know, we think we're at fault because mm-hmm. of our anxiety disorders. And when you start to see what's going on in the brain and in the body and the chemicals, then mm-hmm. suddenly you're saying to yourself, oh, this is a disorder. Yeah. This isn't my fault. I'm not, I, I'm not weak. I'm not lazy. I, 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 there's nothing wrong with my personality. Mm-hmm. This is a disorder, not a decision. Yeah. And it is what a lot of people experience. And I'm not alone in this. I think partial health. When That's did your book come out? Came out. It was published? Yes. Yeah, by Penguin Random House uh, in September of 2021. It's called The Anxiety Sisters Survival Guide. Wonderful. How you can become more uh, hopeful, connected, and happy. Hopeful, connected, and happy. Yep. And so you can get it anywhere that you buy books because it's But it really did take a long time to write and to answer your question. It took almost 10 years to write um, because we were doing so much research. We interviewed thousands of people over the years. We started out with only interviewing a few hundred for the book. And then we, through our podcast, we got access to a lot of experts in different fields, neuroscientists and, you know, before we knew it. And then also people all over the world were joining our community. So Mm -hmm. we had this huge ethnography of the anxiety experience, both from the researcher's perspective and from the suffers perspective so we try to bridge that because you know we're in but we're and the experts so we want to bring it together and make it something really understandable for people yeah and i love that because as you were saying because everyone is so individual and so different you need a ton of different strategies mm-hmm. and so i'm very excited to look for the book as well and uh, to see what other strategies are out there because I'm sure that you've seen, do you have any like surprising strategies that you've heard over the years where you were like, oh, this is working for this person for like managing one, anxiety? One thing that definitely <laughs> surprises, it doesn't surprise me because I, I have degrees in communication and I understand the power of talk and self-talk, mm-hmm. but a lot of our people that we work with are very surprised by how much that helps because mm-hmm. really the research has shown that the most powerful voice in your own head is your own. Mm-hmm. And so if your brain can hear and your ears can hear you mm-hmm. saying out loud that you're going to be okay, it, it immediately reverses that sympathetic wow. response. It puts you into that rest and digest very quickly because, you know, it's like you're brain- hearing yourself. So yeah. we're te- we tell people, and then at first they look at us like we're completely nuts. And we say to them, okay, so you have to find a mantra that works for you or some kind of a a saying or something soothing. It can be anything. It could be one word. It could be the name of someone that you love. It could be a saying. Uh, we love this too shall pass because like all human emotions, anxiety yeah. too will pass. So we love that one or a gentle command like breathe in, breathe out. That's one I use a lot. But what we say to ourselves out loud is so powerful. So that one tends to surprise a lot of people. And then they'll write us and say, oh my God, I started doing that self-talk thing. I will never stop. 
it really works. Yeah. And it does. I think also yeah. that idea that you said before, which is that just that connection. Um, Abby and I, the thing that always surprises us is that um, for all that we talk about anxiety, all of us, we still get people almost daily saying, oh, that's anxiety. I never knew what that was. So I, so we have this, this blog of like burping and farting and making other bodily noises are often a sign of anxiety. Um, and because of, because of how the air is coming in and going out. Right. Mm-hmm. And so people say, oh, that's what that is, but that they can say that for just about anything um, that we talk about. Someone gets this revelation like, oh, oh, this thing was always happening to me, but I didn't know what it was or why it was happening. And not only that, but I'm not alone in this. Like this happens to 30 other people are commenting and saying, yeah, me too. Me too. This happens to me also. Yeah. Yeah. That's so powerful. It's so powerful. We do this Tuesday night book group on Facebook live. It's free. And you know, we have people, they come to the the club every Tuesday night at seven o'clock Eastern time. And so your listeners are invited to join us anytime. Uh, We usually, we go through one chapter of the book a week and we try to pick out something that we think is really salient and go into even more detail. So there's some new content too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, we always get a kick out of the comments. How many people go, oh my gosh, that's a thing. Mm -hmm. That's a thing. Everybody says, that's a thing. I didn't know that was a thing. I thought that was just me. Yeah, that's super cool. And so now that you've published your book, you know, finally, which is so exciting and you have such a huge community, what are you planning to do next? Like what, how do you see your journey evolve and go? Well, I I guess, I mean, we'd like to write another book. (laughs) Um, We'd like to take over the world. No, um, we, we, no, we wouldn't, we really would not. (laughs) No, we really would not. That's true. I think that, I mean, the dream would be to be able to have a foundation at some point so Mm -hmm. that we could get some help to people who don't have access to mental health care. We really, Mm -hmm. you know, we understand the the effects of of living in this culture with this healthcare system and what that means for people who battle brain disorders like anxiety and depression. And so Mm -hmm. I think we would love to help in a very grassroots way. Yeah. uh, And then maybe even to be part of the public policy conversation in that on some level, but I think we still want to just reach more and more and more people, help people get rid of that blame and shame, you know, get the conversation, you know, we want to be part of that conversation, but we also want to make sure that in places, you know, in cities, there's more conversation than in rural Mm -hmm. areas. So we'd like to get the word out everywhere Mm -hmm. that you are not alone Mm -hmm. that, and that there is treatment out there for anxiety. There's all kinds of ways to manage it, both with medicine, without medicine, there's lots of ways. And, you know, we can help you with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Do, what else do we want to do, Max? I want to give a TED talk. We yeah. also have a, um, we also have a podcast that we put a lot of time into called The Spin Cycle with the Anxiety Sisters, um, where sometimes it's just the two of us talking. And sometimes we have different um, people with expertise in areas of anxiety um, or mental health talking to us. So mm-hmm. we we love that. Mm-hmm. And um, we also have, right now we have a small support group, like a private support group um, that, you know, we, we have just started running. So we're, we're kind of, any way we can reach people and help them is sort of what we want to do. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Well, 
I had a huge pleasure talking to you too. Oh, and I feel like um, there's so much more we could talk about, but I would love to leave it at that today. And if people are listening and if they have more questions about anxiety, they can either reach out to me and we'll schedule another podcast episode um, and interview and we'll talk more about maybe more details and more questions that people have about anxiety. But obviously they can also come to you and to, to your Facebook community to the anxiety sisters or read the get the book um you know there's a lot of different ways to get in touch with max and apps so for now thank you so so much for your time um and for your expertise and for you know just being super authentic and open about this experience because i i obviously know it myself and i i wish i would have had access to that kind of insight when when i was going through it um so i think it's always so powerful to see um that We're all working on, on, you know, these little different pieces together in order to elevate the human experience and just help people be, feel better. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. This was great. It's so wonderful to talk to you. Thank you.